the you kind of like this guy, but when you can't decide between the filet o fish or the Big Mac, and he says, I'll get you both. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> like this guy meal. Get it at McDonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks. Limited time only. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bald Move Television, where the officially unofficial podcast for literally all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And today we are doing, we're actually going to step aside from our mission of covering all of television and shrink down to a singular point uh, that does range pretty wide. We've seen the rest of Calpin's, this giant beast that is the global economy, the new uh, Amazon Prime original documentary. It's an eight-part series trying to get our hands around uh, essentially the global economy and how things Corruption in Singapore affects markets in the United States and vice versa. Uh, I really, you know, we, we talked yes last week about the first two episodes. And this week, we're, th- these topics uh, range from the threat of rubber to artificial intelligence to questioning the monetary system itself. What did you think of this back half or I guess back uh, three quarters of the series, Jim? Uh I'm not sure how I feel about this series. I wish, I guess, that it could... I guess I wish that it was an hour, a full hour-long documentary series because I never felt like I quite got the depth, and maybe it was because they were going for too many jokes, too many uh, interludes, some, like, leading in too much to the greater conversation with, with... like trying to make oh these rubber inroads or this this inroad with something else i i never quite left an episode completely satisfied with what i had seen and i i don't think that makes it bad necessarily it's but i'm i just not sure how i feel i i always came away dissatisfied even though this is sort of right up my alley do you think Oh, so first of all, I want to ask you, what do you mean by full hour episodes? These episodes weren't an hour long. I, no, I assume they're they like were. 42 minutes. Oh, okay, okay. Um, because I felt like if they... I, I understand what you're saying because I, I feel like I felt this way with like Lorena that um, like when I first saw the first episode, I was kind of underwhelmed by how surface level and kind of you know, bullshit I thought the takes were, but, like, you have to start somewhere for the vast majority of people that don't think about these issues. And with the economy, like, if they... I still felt like I learned some things in this... this, throughout my journey in this, um, you know, watching this documentary, but I felt like it was... If I learned a bunch of new things, that it wouldn't be very entry level to the average person that's not paying attention to politics and doesn't follow like economics and entrepreneurship and cryptocurrencies as a hobby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, I just think you know I'm maybe not the complete target audience here. Yeah, uh, because I, I have thought about you know things like AI specifically. Right. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think it's no coincidence that the more you know about a given subject, the like more lackluster the episode was and unfortunately uh ai was kind of a real snooze fest that that was the episode that i liked the least because i literally learned nothing and uh i thought that the introductory level uh of the information i thought was um you know like way way what's the opposite of under my head over my head uh, <laughs> around my head below my head yeah right right <laughs> in your head and out the other side i no i so I like the format of the show, I think, um, uh-huh. where they kind of take a topic every single week. It's sort of the thing that I was applauding like John Oliver for when he started up last mm-hmm. week tonight, 
doing a deeper dive on a specific topic uh, and, and doing that once a week. Whereas, you know, like the Daily Show will do 15 different little jokey segments and then they're out. Uh, this kind of feels like that, where they're taking a different topic every episode. And, and I think that sort of serves to gloss over some of the problems, you know, I would have with, with like, oh, trying to weave AI into this larger, broader narrative uh, of the global economy, I think is a, is a harder thing to do. Uh, but, but like when you're talking about an entry-level show, like you're, you're describing it, I think these little bite-sized segments of, you know, here's counterfeiting, here's AI, here's, the, the the maybe the least interesting one to me was the death industry um hmm. I, I felt like that doesn't have the far-reaching global economic consequences like the like a lot more of these topics like ai mm-hmm. or you know uh corruption things like that so i i, I they were hit and miss for me like some some I think those first two were actually really interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. The rubber one, where it eventually gets to, I think is interesting with the stock market mm-hmm. and you know how commodities are traded and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt most of the time like I was just not, I just wasn't vibing with this show the way I should have. Huh. I felt like I, I kind of feel like I guess I liked it more than you because. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's hard to get people to care about this shit, and I think that's and it's also like hard to get people um, to care, like because if people are are quick to see, it's like oh well, this is offensive to my personal take, and like you know, I, I saw a lot of ways to I see so many people critique this show for what it wasn't, you know, like it well it wasn't done depth enough, it didn't have enough uh, representation, female representation, it's like you know pitched at tech dude bros and things like that, and I'm like well. I don't think that that's an invalid – like, if you want to reach the people that need to hear things the most, like, if you wanted a, a pitch, a critique at capitalism, or at least the way we practice capitalism, and you wanted to reach people that are actually running things in Silicon Valley, then you kind of have to approach them on that turf. Mm-hmm. And I, I also felt like this show doesn't exactly spare that culture. Uh, oh, no. Every I single- mean, that, that episode with Bitcoin was a fuck oh. – that – crypto that jeremy Gardner or guy is a fucking oh shit show oh my god it's <laughs> yeah it's it, it's i felt embarrassed like secondhand yeah. embarrassment you know uh-huh uh and i feel like that can do a lot of good because if you think that there's disproportionate power in these industries and they are able to have a like an outsized influence then aren't you smart to try to influence those people uh yeah no I I agree I think the show has its place um it's just not my heart <laughs> yeah I also thought it did the other thing I thought it did a really good job is um I've thought about for like a long time how p- you change people's minds you know I think it's because like mm-hmm. I went through a huge change of mind on a variety of topics and I've I've got a vested interest because a lot of otherwise perfectly fine friends and family are kind of cut off to me right now because they're very rigidly set in a particular mindset and I'm thinking like you know how can you how can you replicate you know how can you replicate what I did with myself to other people and I know there's a lot of um, – so I still follow the ex-Jehovah's Witness community, and there is like – you know that, that's kind of like something that is talked about. Like how do you actually change people's minds? And one of the things, interesting things that's come out of like interviews with psychologists and whatnot is like this like 
kind of Trojan horse way that like if you try to sit down the Jehovah's Witness and say, look, Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, you are never going to get anywhere. But like what what Jehovah's Witnesses are open to is like sitting down and watching a documentary on Scientology. Hmm. And you never try to say, look, idiot, this is the same thing. You 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 because Jehovah's Witnesses are open to criticizing other religions, right? Um, they themselves will see the inherent similarities with the way like Scientologists do things and how destructive it is. And like, if like you can do that. And I felt like Cal Penn was a lot of doing this with, with economies. Like I'm not going to show you exactly one-to-one how this point in India and this point in Malaysia connects to you in the United States, but if you are paying attention at all in any kind of news, if you're interested in this kind of thing, you'll probably make those connections yourself. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think that it, it's very hard to walk away from this eight hours of television and think, gee whiz, the real problem with our economy today is we just don't regulate it enough. Like I came away with like, my God, this is such a sophisticated technological machine that we've built of social engineering and technological prowess that no wonder like it, it it's like this is such a complicated crazy system it needs crazy amount of oversight and crazy amount of transparency and accountability of that oversight and it's like the level that we're getting um is not even scratching the surface like we're not even really trying uh we're like pit we're like we are in regulation right now it feels like what the the thesis of this documentary is we are um penny wise and pound foolish mm-hmm. we are getting we are doing a pretty good job at like stamping out little bits of things here and there to distract us of the fact that people are taking piles and piles of money um and just using it to enrich themselves and i thought that uh you know that's very flattering to my worldview <laughs> and <laughs> it also conforms to a lot of years of research that i've done and uh, i enjoyed that <laughs> yeah i i noticed that uh, during this show, specifically when it came to like the the description of the problem of AI, I guess, or the challenges with artificial intelligence, like yeah, when when they're standing outside this you know substation power thing, uh, and he's talking to this guy and he's describing, you know how how huge of a task just understanding and getting our heads around artificial intelligence and and that kind of stuff is. I've very much felt the same way about the economy as a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that almost one person can't actually get their head around all of it at the same time. Right. And it's why we have, you know, specialists in the stock market and specialists in uh, so many other arenas of the economy. Uh, that that I definitely felt. And I, I think that he does do a good job of maybe aside from, you know, that crypto episode, not sort of making fun of the people who he's there to challenge the belief systems mm-hmm. of. Like, you look yeah. at the, um, essentially the preppers, uh, who he had mm-hmm. in that one episode talking about you know fiat currency and that kind of thing, yeah. and I never felt really like he was making fun of them. He was no. trying to simply get into their head and understand where they're coming from and use that to lead into the larger discussion about fiat currency and and the trust systems involved in our economy. And I think that's a really smart, good approach for all the reasons that you mentioned, like getting people who actually need to hear this or need to change their mind about something to sort of make those connections organically yeah because like i that's a really good uh a place to kind of drill into it because i agreed with you i thought that um i think prepping is stupid mm-hmm. um I, although i do think i do have a little bit of the prepper gene because <laughs> oh, i do man. like 
I do like kind of planning ahead and like, you know, having kind of crazy plan, but like, I don't, I don't go crazy with it. I don't go completely off the grid and I'm not milking goats and I'm, I don't have an underground bunker and I'm not stockpiling guns that any of you know of. You'll be the first to die. <laughs> yes. Because that's, but I think it's a fundamentally silly concept, but I think the impulse to do it, like, like if I went through what these people went to, went mm-hmm. through with their worldview and the things that they say they espouse and value this seems like an entirely rational course of action yeah um it's just when you get to uh like the some of the things they say it's like well you know within three months of civilization collapsing uh 80 of the people will be dead and everybody else will be eating each other like i just fundamentally don't believe that right just the I psychopaths think, and the prepared will survive right <laughs> right i think if a world the like if a worldwide catastrophe hit the solution would be it i mean i'm not saying it wouldn't suck but i think the solution would be like some kind of worldwide of like look 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 nothing has changed okay mm-hmm. Like we're going to get this set, we're going to get this figured out in a couple days, and it's kind of like I, I felt like maybe they intended this, maybe they didn't. But when they kind of went into the Indian economy and showed like what happened when they just demonetized popular bills, like mm-hmm. I feel like it'd be that kind of that's like a dry run of what would happen if there was a worldwide financial collapse. Maybe yeah. I'm being naive and super optimistic, but. Well, I look at what happened in 2008, you know, with the bank collapses uh, yes. and, and the, the real estate bubble. And I think, look, we solved that problem, right? It was painful. Um, a lot of people lost a lot of money, but yeah. nobody was on the streets eating each other. That was a global right. scale. There's people economic... on the streets, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, it was that was a global scale economic sure. meltdown. Um, that sure. didn't just affect the U.S. and the real estate market. That affected everyone across the globe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the Greek economy has burned down to a cinder. Uh, mm-hmm. There there have been things that have happened, and we have ways to sort of hit the reset button, sort of correct course. It, I, I don't think that a global economic uh, failure is going to cause everyone to be on the streets eating each other. Uh, no. I, I'm with you there. I think the people, the people who have a stake in this, which is everyone, right. will figure out a way to deal with any problems that come up. And, and yeah. the, the the bigger problem that I see is the corruption, which is the final episode of this series. Sure, uh, which which think... is essentially you know pushing people toward ever worse circumstances. Uh, the the mass, the majority of the population, and that's where the real problem comes in because the the people in charge of the economic systems have no incentive to correct that. Right, um, and I think that that's another thing that the show did a really good job is each piece of this, each episode kind of put together a little piece of corruption. Yeah. You know, like uh, where are the big corruptions? Why? Where are the manipulations? Where are people not like like if you? I mean, even if you think capitalism is the most awesome thing in the world, and there's a lot of evidence that that is in fact, you know, that that there's a lot of evidence that that could be the truth. Uh, you do have to admit that it's all based on people generating value and mutual like beneficial exchanges of of trade and what i think this thing does a really good job is showing that like at the very tip top levels they are reversing those levers and they are deriving immense value from actually not delivering any gain no improvement no efficiency no no superior market forces no extra customer service they're just they're just fucking people. They're mm-hmm. just like you said, a vampire sucking blood. And I felt like every single like you had seven pieces going into the corruption episode, 
and then the corruption episode try to put all those all those together yeah um, and i think which, the, that value proposition is is demonstrated nowhere better than in that death episode which overall right. i don't really care for but i think you know when you put it into the stark light of hey a baby is worth nothing to to our system and an old and person an is old worth person, nothing yeah. to our right. system I, I think that's that says so much about yeah. about what our systems value I want to talk about that value of statistical life, but I also, before we go off, because I feel like sometimes I, I feel like a, I'm very optimistic about us, our ability to get through this. But I do think the one thing we have to be careful of is all these things, like you said, 2008, you know, and we've recovered from that. And I think broadly speaking, we have. But what's happened is there has been a disproportionate amount of wealth pumped out of a particular generation of people oh yeah and those people are going to like with these millennial kids and young adults and 30 year olds now are like statistically going to struggle much worse than their peer cohorts because they have a big disproportionate uh like especially in in america they have a disproportionate amount of the of, of college debt which is as which is um, required to get a good job and there was a dearth of good jobs and there's a dearth of real estate available so they're now having to rent instead of owning there's like all these things are going to fall unless we try to make this whole unless we try to like find a better way to to help working people um and i i think that's the thing it's like i and, and every little thing is like we're everything's a little bit more brittle now, right? Because we've got that generation, right? And if like Brexit mm. comes and that, I don't know how many more blows the world economy can take before we have not just a recession but a Great Depression. And I think that's where you people really get scared. Is like, what if we are living through essentially the late, the 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 nineteen twenties of 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 twentieth century America? And there's this yeah. time of kind of like because th- that's that's where. I don't think it's too late. I don't want to be like, you know, doom and gloom. And, uh, but I also think that we do need to pay attention to this stuff and we do need to start, um, really paying attention to this economic policy and this corruption, or we're going to be in a situation where we have, you know, not doomsday level preppers. Like, I don't, I, I don't think it's society's going to like burn down the <laughs> Mad Max levels, but it's like having a bad tooth. Like, how much pain. And how expensive and how shitty do you want and how good the restoration do you want? Because the longer you wait, all of those things you lose control of. You lose control of the cost. You lose control of how nice things are going to return. You lose you lose control of how much pain you're going to be experiencing. And what's frustrating is I just feel like collectively we've all got a bad tooth and we're just, nope, nope, I'm just going to put some clove oil on it. Yep, not going to, you know, just going to avoid eating ice cream because when I, ooh, it's sensitive to cold. And like, <laughs> what the fuck? So, yeah, and it's it's there there are some topics in which we're sort of at the stage of like the you can tell that the things we're doing are going to form the cavities that are going to hurt us later, right? Like right. Th- this AI thing is 100% that. And yeah. this is a a subject that we've talked about many times before, but it bears repeating again. And the stats that, you know, some of those people are throwing out in this series are frightening, frankly. Um yeah. I don't remember exactly what the percentage is of people who are going to be out of jobs and will be automated out within the next 20 years, but it was a shocking percentage. Uh, I think, yeah, someone said, I think it was between 25 and 30 million people out of jobs due to automation in less than 20 years. Yeah, which we are not prepared for. Uh, Do you know how much shit this economy has gone, like how much shit politically has happened because coal miners are out of work? And we're talking uh like 100,000 people. Right. Like steel workers. Yeah, we're talking about like 
economic disruption like you've never seen before mm-hmm. and the answer to these people is not going to be learn how to code <laughs> no it, because it the coders be. will be automating their jobs <laughs> i mean the coders are automating their jobs the the code that the coders write are automating themselves now that's like, what i meant yeah 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 uh, okay yeah i mean ai is going to be controlling itself pretty soon for the most part uh with very few people behind the scenes pulling the strings there won't be enough jobs to go around because uh, we're simply going to automate them away, and that is something we absolutely have to get out in front of to avoid that pain. And we simply, right now, have our fingers in our ears, and we're ignoring the problem. Yeah. And I, do you mind if we like take these like chapters like kind of in order? Because I have a little bit to say about all of them, uh, okay. except for rubber and AI. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I don't know what to do about. I don't know what to do about rubber. Rubber is like the like uh, the gross Mike banana problem, except for our lives depend on it. And, what? Huh? Oh, explain uh, that. Okay, so you know, like uh, the bananas that we eat. You know how banana flavoring, a candy banana flavor, doesn't taste like the bananas we eat. It tastes like shit. I hate it. Yeah. Uh. Well. Okay. That's an interesting opinion. But <laughs> <laughs> back in like the twenties, there the banana cultivar of choice was this gross Mike banana, and it's like it's a it's a clone, and it was like this like sweet plump banana. And that song, like, Yes, We Have No Bananas, was, like, uh, talking about this banana crisis because there's this mold, this blight that, like, killed all of these bananas. And there's one cultivar, which is the bananas we're eating right now. I forget what species they are. But everyone's like, God, these bananas are bland. They taste like shit. Mm -hmm. And that's the banana that we're eating today because (laughs) we let the genetic diversity of the gross mite get, uh, um, get, get manhandled by nature. And, like, that's what's going on with the rubber and there's this perverse incentive of like this this um this this it seems like so much happens with these future tradings mm-hmm. um because it seems like there's this perverse incentive to just just everyone thinks in a race to the bottom and i feel like this is the third industry that we've talked about where we've seen this where market futures are coming in there and they're just slashing bare bones prices when i go and i look at how much a gallon of milk costs a store today i'm like how the fuck are dairy farmers staying in fucking business? Yeah. Like the price of a gallon of milk has gone down by 50% in like the last four years, which is great for me as a consumer. But when I was a kid, I had family that was in, had a dairy operation down in Alabama and they got squeezed out when like milk went below $3 a gallon. Now you can get like a gallon for a, a buck Oh nine. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I, it seems like this is like just shouldn't be legal that you can buy you can like essentially bet on what you think the future of something's going to do and lock in prices. It's it's a way to like really circumvent and fuck the market, isn't it? Yeah, I'll I'll admit to not quite understanding, and and that's maybe why I feel dissatisfied coming away from an episode like the rubber episode because uh, I don't quite understand the futures markets. I don't participate in anything like that, so. I, I don't have an educated opinion on that. I will say that I think, yes, the rubber farmers are getting fucked in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it would almost require a, a coordinated price-fixing effort, uh, which is another thing that we crack right. up, down on as illegal, which I understand to a certain degree. Yeah. But in this case, it seems like the farmers need to step up and say, none of us are going to sell you rubber until we get a damn price that's worth it. Right, right. And I think that, uh, because I understand, like they they did explain why the it's, the futures are attracted to the farmers too, because they have uncertainty. Like you yeah. know, what happens if there something comes like a drought and it uh, wipes out their entire entire harvest? Like what what then? At least they have money, like you know, for the future. But like, yeah, I don't. 
it seems like future markets are just a race to the bottom and there's no everything's like razor thin and there's no it seems like the exact opposite of what you want to do it's it's a way to take the supply and demand that's supposed to naturally control uh mm-hmm. A, a, a capitalist system and inject some third party that's just like has no relation to those forces and is just manipulating it via monetary policy oh yeah and, and none of those people that they talk to from the farmer to the, the the owner of the rubber factory uh was more full of shit than the guy who was talking about futures trading uh and mm. and i think like look they're yeah. He's talking about it in terms of like, oh, there's a market correction here that's been coming for a long time, and rubber actually isn't worth that much. And I think it's exactly the opposite. To me, it looks like yeah. there is a huge problem with the market at the moment that is completely unsustainable, and that it's about to have a huge correction the other way. And right. honestly, I welcome that. Like, let's pay the farmers more. Let's fuck these guys on Wall Street trading futures. But I mm. hope they lose their ass in rubber. I hope they lose their ass. <laughs> And they don't bounce back. Fuck no. Uh, yeah, I mm, I just, it seems like everyone agrees that there's a giant problem. We've got this sort of Damocles over our head where if like the, like, because it sounds like that the rubber industry, it, it wouldn't like take five years. Like if this, if this blight yeah. crosses the ocean, it's like in six months, all the rubber trees in that area that are producing rubber are dead. And it would take ye- – and it's what it takes like five to six years, five to seven years for a rubber tree to get mature enough to actually get. Yep. And like the, the nice thing is is like humans are very good at like uh, engineering our way out of this and they end in a kind of a hopeful note that like, oh, maybe you could replace these hectares of um, rubber trees with hectares of dandelions and it would actually be even better. But that technology is not ready. And if that right. spore crosses the ocean now – we're really playing like they did convince me that the rubber is like the special thing that we can't do without. We're like, we're super fucked if we don't have it. Yeah. I, I didn't quite understand like how that could be possible. Like we don't have a synthetic uh, material that can produce the properties of rubber well enough to make plane tires. What the hell? I mean, are we, like, what, we're sitting on our asses with, with our thumbs in them. <laughs> like, well, it could be like, we still don't have anything that can re- like replace spider silk for, uh, like it's, it's pound, like, you know, strength, the weight ratio. And like, we yeah. can milk spiders and we can genetically engineer goats to be able to milk spider web from them. But we, it does, it, it does seem like some of this freaky protein based shit is really goddamn hard. <laughs> like if, yeah. obviously if the, if the molecular engineers could do it, they would do it and make a trillion dollars overnight. So, I mean, that's where it's like, you know, capitalism is trying as hard as it can. This is just a hard problem to solve. In the meantime, it seems like an outside agency could come in and be like, okay, why we're not selling rubber, we're going to require like everyone to like replace 15% of their forest with another rubber cultivar and try to get ahead of this problem. So maybe we go 50, 50. I don't know, but like everyone is just saying, yeah, there's a huge problem and everyone's has their thumbs in their asses and can't do anything because a futures markets. And it's yeah. And it's fucked up crazy. too because the, the worst has happened in another area of the world. Like yeah. when they talk about, you know, the rubber blight that, that hit uh, South America. Right. Like a hundred years ago. Yep, that, yep. that, that has happened. It's not something where you can look at it and say, oh, well, the possibility is very low that that will ever happen. Right. You have to add the word again to that sentence, and that's yes. the fucking scary thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And the fact is, like, if it happens again, are we more or less reliant on rubber than we were back in Henry Ford's days? I say more. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I just, uh, 
there's a lot of little things like that in the economy that I don't understand why we don't take more seriously. But that was interesting. But it's one of those things like, man, that was not on my radar. That's fucked. I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, AI, I, I don't I feel like AI, we've beat to death. I don't have I learned zero things new. I learned like if you don't know why you should be afraid of AI or not afraid because they do a good job of showing the utopian side of it, too. Right. But yeah, where we need to be cautious. concerned about how the economy is going to change because this is going to be a huge change to the economy it Mm -hmm. could be a it could be a huge step forwards to some kind of star trek utopia or it can be a huge step forwards back in the essentially feudalism Mm -hmm. and we our generations and our, our sons and daughters generations are going to decide how that goes so if you are like what the fuck is aaron and jim talking about please watch that episode but otherwise you know i i don't i don't know that we need to talk about anything more than that um, I thought the counterfeiting episode is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I learned some things about counterfeiting, I guess. Um, I really liked the part where they went to the, uh, what was it? Neuro, neuroscientist or something. Uh, and yeah. they were talking with him about how to design bills that are less counterfeitable or mm-hmm. design bills that are more easily recognized as counterfeits. Right. Uh, and, and the rejection of the government by, of those simply for pride, essentially yeah. like, yeah. you know, uh, our national bills have a, have a look to them. And, and if they're not mm-hmm. fancy, look, dude, this is the age of Apple. Let's get uh, a fucking blank bill. That's all one color with a hologram in the center. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's that. that's that's what the, what it was. Google called that the flat style now. It yeah, was, uh, yeah, yeah. Some... Just everything's everything, everything fancy and artificial about design is being stripped away to its bare utility, and mm-hmm. just have a square, just a square with a, a square yellow sheet of plastic with a hologram in the middle. And Love you're it. You're done. You're done. Um, I also thought because they also there's a lot of things I think about in counterfeiting. Like I don't think of the fact that counterfeiting is it's not just money it's also brand it's also intellectual copyright theft it's a safety concern like that's something that you don't think about a lot of times is like uh you know how like counterfeit electrical switches and uh counterfeit concrete can lead to like massive amounts of people dying mm-hmm. because how the hell do i know if i got counterfeit switches in this house you won't know until there's electrical fire um, and how also that counterfeiting is a weird like there's a tension between counterfeiting and innovation because, you know, I think you and I both agree that the way we protect intellectual property is way too overboard nowadays. Like you get creators death plus like 70 years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But um, that that like you being able to copy and reverse engineer things uh, really sparks a lot of innovation. Um, it's one of those competitive pressures. Like if you've got something that's so elementary and obvious that a person can look at it and be like, oh, that's five cents of plastic, boom, here it is. How much profit should you be allowed to extract from that? I mean, th- yeah, those are I- interesting questions and I thought the episode did a good job of exploring them, if not suggesting like ways that you can actually make things be- make make those things better. Yeah, I think... In my opinion, maybe it dwells on it too long, and that's what I didn't like. But in my opinion, the problem is, or, or that benefit, that advantage is overstated a bit. Like, yes, it does drive innovation, but there are other things that drive innovation just as much. 
yeah. uh, such as a customer's uh, delight with the product. Like, y- you know, we don't have trademarks that last, or, or not trademarks, uh, patents that last forever. Yeah. Like, it's not like the IP copyright stuff. And, and ultimately, right. IP is not as valuable or interesting to me uh, in the innovation market because tra- patents are, are really where it's at like that's how you a good patent is like an implementation of an idea (laughs) right right and that's that's where the innovation happens um Uh as far as like inventions and methods for doing things uh and i feel like there are other forces that drive that forward not just you know copycats essentially yeah yeah um i also thought it's interesting that like there are i did not know that you could cannot cannot copyright a design of a piece of clothes or a piece of furniture. Like there's this utilitarian argument. Like if it's something you use for food, clothing, shelter, something like that, there is no limit to what you can or cannot copy. And yet those industries are still thriving. Like yeah. that is kind of interesting. And I'm not sure. I haven't fully thought through the ramifications of that because it's almost like you shouldn't protect intellectual property at all. Which everyone hmm. when when I when if I say that it seems insane because then why would anyone create anything if they can't make money off of it? Well, but... I mean there there are IP rules in effect in industries like fashion, for instance, which is kind of a big focus of that episode. Uh, where like yeah, you can't you can't copyright a design, but you can copyright a logo, and so anybody who would rip off your design can't use your logo. And if the brand is the value and the perceived value is the real value, then that that brand is the one thing they can't copy that is actually the thing that's worth something. So I like, I, how does, how does it apply to furniture though? Or like food or housing? Because yeah, like furniture is a little different. Yeah. Cause I think you're right about that. The other, like if style is like, okay, part of it style is the fact that you're paying for something stupid anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like when I'm thinking about couches and housing and food, those same things should apply, but they don't seem like they do. And I feel like there's something interesting there. I just haven't quite thought it through yet. They do kind of like if you look at, you know, an Oreo cookie versus a fucking everyday market cookie that that is yeah. the exact same thing. I think people are still going to buy the Oreos, right? Right. Yeah, the Hydroxes. Even though uh, the Hydrox is, of course, the original Oreo. <laughs> right. Oreo rebranded and did a better job uh, Crazy. than Hydrox did. So, yeah, I think like even in food somewhat that's there but it's more like the package processed kind of stuff hmm. um but yeah i don't i don't know how you would do that with like houses or i i guess maybe furniture like when i think of office chairs right i think of like the herman miller type stuff hmm. i i wouldn't look at a knockoff and say that's probably going to be just as good as the herman miller Aeron or right something. and i'm not sure why i'm not sure why you can't make a herman miller chair for oh, half i'm sure price. you can i'm sure yeah. you can but, but the it won't perceived be as... value in my head is not the same. Interesting. I think you're right. I think you're right. I just uh, I, I just don't know why why there's not exact because it seems like I've seen a lot of knockoff Herman Millers, but I've never seen like an exact copy. Yeah. You know. Um. Anyway, uh, the next subject was death, which I think we're both kind of like okay, whatever. It was we've already talked about the single bombshell thing, which is the concept of this value of a statistical life. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you're never more valuable the, to society than when you are about to embark upon your earning career. Like until <laughs> right. you get a job, you are worth nothing. And once you are no longer capable of working, you are worth nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to make a non-utilitarian argument against that, or a, you know what I mean? 
Like that's if you just look at things from a utilitarian basis and what other basis would you want a government entity to do? So it's like one of those things that seems like uncomfortable, but I don't know how else you do it. Like, I, mean, I, th- I think you look at a, you, a, you can look at a misery quotient. You could look at yeah. a, a joy quotient like that. But how I think do there you, are other ways do to do s- it, but it's hard. Like if I said we can say we if we spend five billion dollars, we can save one additional life this year. Uh huh. Is it worth it? Like I don't know how. Like and and yeah, I said like the joy, the humanity index. There needs. I I feel like there's no discussion of that. It's all yeah. of like the discussion is binary of like pure utilitarian. Like oh, we're gonna have death panels or we're gonna have people making up their own decisions and wasting millions and millions of dollars on end of life care. That's counterproductive and painful and all that stuff. Like there's no ever like, well, can we, is there a way that we can, like we've, we have managed to put an economic value on the average life. Can we not put the, like the bliss or happiness value or the humanity value? There's, there's never any discussion of that, which I thought was interesting. The other thing. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. That that's, I, I feel like that's tied up in capitalism, right? Because, capitalism right. is the, the way that things get done the way that things progress in this country uh the incentives are all tied into that system so like yeah i can understand why we don't have that but people living their actual lives outside of when you look at them outside of that system have very much those types of things on their mind how happy am i how how happy and healthy is my family those kinds of things and yeah none of our systems take any of that into account yeah, and I feel like that they're like so. China last year controversially de like deployed the social currency thing concept, and it seems like it's being used for kind of fairly totalitarian purposes. <laughs> yeah, but so it, did Facebook. I don't think that's going to work either. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I wonder if there is there is a way to do that to put the money, uh, and this might tie into like new forms of economy, but like try to devalue instead of like the statistical life, like maybe incentivize people to do good by rewarding that rather than trying to derive a purely economic, but there you go. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, these are part of this is a struggle because I don't think we've invented the social technology yet. It's like when, when primitive humans first overcame, like invented the concept of religion and nationalism to, override our genetic inability to care for more than about a hundred people and like hey we all love this god now we can can or or we see these scraps of fabric that's a flag and that means a nation now we can organize thousands hundreds of thousands millions billions of us together in a way that we could never do like that's social technology right i don't think we've developed a social technology to solve this these problems i agree it it always irritates me when people act like, well, they'll never be solved. Yeah. Like you yeah. can never try this because the last time a bunch of serfs tried it in 1918, it went to shit and it was terrible. Like, yeah, but you didn't like, stand up and, and run a marathon the first time you tried to walk either. Like, no, the, the first time we tried powered human flight, it was bad. People died. Yeah. But there wasn't people at, at like fucking, I mean, maybe there was people at Kitty Hawk being like, you're going to die as. As the Wright brothers took flight, but like you, you get you, technology improves, understanding improves. We try things that didn't work before and again, but like there's a vested interest to be like, nope, nope, nope. The system right now, with all the flaws that we know, can can not ever be substituted for anything else, even in little experimental ways. Because I don't know. Um, but I also thought like one of the things I thought this, that I felt this working on me is, um, a lot of times when they were showing like, uh, 
the soccer fans, right? Paying $5,000 to be buried inside the soccer stadium. And I'm thinking like, God damn, there's the problem with like Western societies and capitalism and how stupid it is and how vanity. And then they go like to this Chinese like uh, like place where these guys like they're still taking money, but it's all about spirituality and monks praying. And I'm like, well, this is bullshit, but at least it's bullshit that's kind of elevating and like look at the difference <laughs> in East and West. But then he took us to I forget what other country, maybe it's Hong Kong, where they literally spend tons of money building paper replicas of things to burn and send to people in heaven. And I'm like, OK, yeah. This is like another type of intrinsic like culturalism or racism where you always want to say that the other guys have like some kind of higher minded, more balanced. But like, nah, we're all capable of being a fucking idiots about very similar things for same reasons. Uh, oh yeah, I, I mean, I think all the the kind of death ritual stuff is sort of bullshit. Like, they, why, why do you have to spend money to properly grieve? I don't understand it. Like well, I, don't, I thought just, just throw me in, a, in throw me in a fucking river. Send, just get my body out of here. And they do and, that in India, and there's problems with that approach too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't literally mean it. But, but like sure. I thought one. Okay, so th- out of this episode, there was one idea. It was thunderstruck. The thunderstruck me is that the modern and apologize to any undertakers because you know um, I'm just saying stuff out loud. I don't not considering how this is going to impact your industry, but. It does seem like they played a, p- a pretty pretty logical proposition that the entire like uh, funerary industry, funeral industry, was a way to take something that was a burden that families and communities bore for each other and turn a beloved person's corpse into a product that then they sold back to the family. Yeah, that's and- a really elegant way of putting it. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my god, that made a lot of sense. And it's also like, because like I could tell that like this is a some uh, like an idea is grinding my gears because like I had a lot of objections. Like, well, how do you keep people from just like covering up murders and death? How do you make sure that people are going to cleanly dispose of a corpse because that can be a problem too? It can be human health, but it does seem like. Like many things I see in society, we've gone way overboard into the side of, oh, God, it's got to be safe and clean and sterile and you can't get you. You have to at least embalm the person. And and it's not like I've been I've been researching like right now. My my will says I should be cremated, but I've been researching some of those like shroud things or like going putting my body in a body farm or like one of those uh, things where they shrink wrap your body into a tree bulb and you plant it like. That's a hell of a lot better than trying to put yourself into a ten thousand dollar casket and 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 uh, bury yourself. And I I've seen firsthand in my family where this fucks with people mm. because my grandma died like damn near twenty years ago, and she actually wanted to be cremated, but the family gave her this lavish burial, this super expensive <laughs> coffin and this super expensive headphone, our headstone, and then granddad who just died last year and actually wanted those things like bought like that we couldn't afford it because he took out a reverse mortgage on the home and there was almost no value left in the state so he got cremated wow and my aunts and uncles were in agony about it <laughs> and i'm like i know that granddad wanted it this way but if he were here right now that he would be saying what the fuck are you people being angry and stuff about like i don't none of this matters like it's it man western burial Western barrel customs, I don't... I'm with you, man. I don't understand. No, I mean, that's like... Look, this is probably why it's my least favorite of the episodes in the series. I 
think this entire thing is bullshit. Like, just get the body to a place where it's safe to leave it to decompose. Yes. That's that's all I care about in death. Like, you can you can have a meeting of your family in a home and come together mm-hmm. and grieve for the person, right? Talk about the good times. Have a ceremony for them if you if the living people want to. But as far as what happens to my nasty old shitty body that I have zero use for and the family has zero use for at this point just get rid of it like why 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 mortgage part of your future to pay for some thing that doesn't matter to me at all yeah and it doesn't seem like it enriches because like i've seen some death customs i thought were healthy like uh i saw the movie coco a couple years ago and the way they portrayed these kind of latin american um you know, traditions about the day of the dead and whatnot that they have in their houses, like these shrines that go like several generations back, like, hey, this is your grandpa, and this was his father, and this was his father. And, you know, you can kind of see the sense of community and family and the struggles you've been through. Whereas, like, I never met most of my grandparents. I couldn't tell you what they looked like. My, my, my or my great grandparents, my great great grandparents, or my great 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 grandparents. I don't, those people are complete mysteries to me, but I'm sure they all have nice headstones somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what the fuck good does that do me as a fourth generation, fifth generation family? It's like, I feel like I'm less connected to my family. So, like, yeah, it'd be one thing of these customs, like if we we're spending money and we got some kind of closure or value, but it's almost like it's mm-hmm. like we're keeping up with the dead Joneses. Uh, and it's just a, oh man, I, I don't know how to, cause I, I think it's admirable the way you look at death and I, I wish we could move everyone as a society towards that kind of utilitarian <laughs> way of looking at it. Uh-huh. I don't know how you do it, man, because no, when grandma's so... dying and you want to make sure she's loved up in heaven, what are you going to do? Dump her, dump her in a hole with, with, you know, a <laughs> shroud on like a cheap, like a poor person. You got to, I mean, it's, it's fucked and that's kind of the argument that's that's happening in people's uh living rooms so yeah i mean it's all tied up in emotion and and it's also tied up in a weird sense of pride too like you look at the some of these cemeteries uh some of these memorial parks like you had in oh yeah uh, uh across the seas and you know we have here um yeah and, and people like somehow view this as part of their legacy right like they want to leave a lasting mark somewhere and this is the place for them to do it in this memorial park cemetery as a pile of ashes in a gold urn inside yeah. a, a golden door yeah it's it's fucking weird i will say though that i i went to uh italy last year and one of the most amazing things is the cemeteries yeah <laughs> that they have over there they're beautiful they're gorgeous structures well, it's uh, like the cathedrals right totally weird like you, too you you and i see no value at cathedrals yeah yeah but, but i'm glad beautiful. they got built i'm glad they got built uh-huh Hey, before we get further into the discussion of this giant beast, I want to talk about some things that are happening here at BaldMove.com. On BaldMove TV, next week, we're going to be discussing the Netflix original, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, which is the directorial debut of one Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, which we're pretty excited about. Also, we're going to be looking at an episode of the Hulu horror anthology series that just came out this week, Into the Darkness, Treehouse. Uh, that's in the Bald Move TV feed that you can find in your favorite podcast app by just searching for Bald Move TV. Pretty easy. Also, on our Bald Movies feed, we're going to be reviewing Captain Marvel, and if you're a club member, you can get full spoiler takes. If not, you can listen to us discuss the movie in a non-spoiler fashion and talk about upcoming movies and, and movie news. Uh, that you can find by going to your favorite podcast app and just searching for Bald Movies. Pretty simple. 
Also, if you are a club member, another reason to get excited for next week is we're going to be releasing um, our first episode of season three of Quip, Quit Your Pitching, where Jim and I use a tool to randomly generate a television or movie title, and then we try to pretend what that would be about, and we pitch it and we cast it. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's serious. It's all quit. Quip. It's all quip. It's all things. It's all pitches we should quit, I suppose. And uh, you can get that on uh, the uh, the Bald Move premium feed. Uh, that's what's happening at baldmove.com. Hey, everybody. I'm here to tell you how you can support this giant beast that is the Bald Move economy. Uh, the best way is to become a club member. And there's no corruption here. We are pretty upfront about the fact that 100% of your money goes to 50% me and 50% Jim. Uh, very few middlemen. Uh, very few Russian oligarchs with their with their uh, uh, hands in this this these pie pieces. If there were, we probably wouldn't have this club. We'd just be, man. A podcast would be a good money laundering front. Yeah, like you'd have to like it, it, we'd have to do a lot more PayPal and Bitcoin probably to kind of hide these transactions and stuff. But my God, we mm-hmm. we 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 take in money and like, are we really generating anything of value at all? Like this is this is a this is a launder, mon, money laundering gold mine, and you can invest in that money laundering operation by going to club.baldmove.com. Not only do you help us embezzle uh, tons of oligarch funds, but you also uh, get a bunch of cool uh, extra content, like video versions of the podcast, uh, extra video and audio uh, b- bonus content, such as Quit Your Pitching and Lunch with Jim and Aaron and the Bald Movies reviews as well as get VIP access to forums, ad-free fees, tons of features, and you can try it all very transparently before you buy by going to club.baldmove.com, preview actual club content. If it pleases you, you can then sign up for a free 30-day trial and really kick the tires of this year club beast. Uh, club.baldmove.com. Thank you for your support in advance. Um, so the next subject they move on is, is essentially, is money bullshit? Uh, and I thought this was one of the better episodes. Yeah, I agree. And I l- really liked how they show, um, like, this is a really good, like, if you have didn't pay attention in, like, history and e- economics class and you've heard about the gold standard and you think, oh, gold, that's where it's at, or, <laughs> oh, fiat currency is bullshit, this is a good episode to, to, because I think it's pretty fair and even-handed about the strengths and weaknesses of all those different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I felt like, Without Cal really pushing back, like some of these gold guys just came across as so dishonest. Like he compared like the superiority of the purchasing power of gold. He says like, you know, back in the 12th century or whatever, you could buy a full plate armor suit for a thousand pounds of gold. And and today you can still buy um, uh, like like, like a nice suit for the same amount of gold. And I'm like... Are you really comparing a fashion suit to a full plate of medieval armor? Like, yeah. isn't that like, I mean, what would that be in modern times? Like, how much would a military quality helmet, vest with the full ceramic stuff, full boots, you know, like, what what is a full spec, like a bomb suit? How much does that cost? I bet it's a hell of a lot more than a thousand bucks. You know, yeah. but yeah, you can get some nice threads and shoes for about a thousand bucks. Or thereabouts, like I mean, come on. Um, and then you know the weakness of gold is the fact that like when something happens where there's market instability, there's nothing you can do to stimulate the economy because gold's worth what the gold is worth. So um, yeah, and if you think you know gold is going to save me when you know these preppers are right, 
and everybody's right. eating each other in the streets, that ain't going to save you either, you know? Yeah, like how, like how, I, I've often wondered how people think that the transaction is going to work when you have a pound of gold and you need a loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who has the loaf of bread in the <laughs> Mad Max scenario is your king and master. It, uh, yeah, and not and, the guy with the loaf of gold. And, and let's say, okay, so th- they try and play gold off like it's not a finite of currency, right? Like mm-hmm. it's this steady state thing that sure. the amount never changes. There's there's one guy in there who says, oh, well, they can just go dig up more gold, mm-hmm. uh, which is only true to a certain point. Mm-hmm. So so if gold is this this finite limited quantity resource how do you portion it like look at bitcoin bitcoin is a good example like Mm -hmm. i have i can own point zero 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 one bitcoin and that might be worth a dollar today that might be worth ten dollars later who knows Mm -hmm. but how am i going to go up to the guy who has a loaf of bread with my brick of gold and shave Mm -hmm. off point zero 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 one percent of that Right. and hand it to him he wouldn't be right. able to fucking see it so yeah. like i feel like, like there he, are problems there you would discover every single problem with gold-based economy like because they right they, yeah, over the two thousand years that we it. use it they would shave pieces off or they would cast it into small little circles called coins it would be stamped with denominations so you knew that the the person in charge had said that yep this is exactly how many ounces of gold it is and it's like you would recreate the monetary slowly recreate monetary uh, modern monetary currency policy by going back to the gold standard and i think it's hilarious that people don't realize that and especially yeah. since like i thought it's strong like in the middle of the episode they come down like you don't any global economy or any economy larger than a village revolves on a system of trust. Yes. And it's no more or less valid to say that this coin is that this this coin is worthless because it represents it's backed by a pound of gold versus this dollar is worthless because it's only backed by roughly a dollar's worth of the American people's labor, which mm-hmm. is what fiat currency is ba- is essentially based on. It's pinned to a nation's GDP. And there's certainly a lot of problems with that, but there's a reason we went to it. And I wish people would spend like the hour it takes to understand fiat currency and uh, or just watch this episode because you'll get that. Yeah. And you also get some good flaw. You'll understand flaws and threats to the new cryptocurrency. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, Bitcoin. We can we can try. I'm still after watching this episode and watching their silly uh, wedding millennial wedding comparison mm-hmm vignette i am no closer to understanding the actual technology behind bitcoin oh yeah uh yeah i I still will admit to not understanding how that all works um i I think conceptually like i understand the idea of a decentralized uh verifiable ledger kind of thing but i don't i don't quite understand how bitcoin takes advantage of that those sorts of things but i think the idea of digital currency makes a lot of sense yeah, the problem with right now is Bitcoin is it's it's being used as like a something that you speculate and you hoard. Yeah, it's not used as something that is like liquid currency. And I don't. I've read a lot of things that explain why that might be happening, but not how to stop it. And the one, th- have you been paying attention to like how much of the world's electricity is going to generating Bitcoin right now? No, like it's an appreciable fraction. Like there was an estimate of something like five or six percent of the world's power, or maybe more, is being used to generate Bitcoin. Wow! And that, and and how there's this perverse like 
because you know i've long held that like we don't need to really reduce our consumption we need to get more efficient right like mm-hmm. that's like the technocrat solution to global warming is just like okay or global climate change is like we just need to be more efficient we'll use less but what we see in things like this bitcoin is the cheaper energy gets or the more efficient efficient energy gets the cheaper it becomes and the more you use of it yeah. So the demand curve outpaces the efficiency curve. And now we've got a situation where this fake currency is using something like 5% of the world's global electricity. What the fuck? Where does that go in 10, 15, 20 years? <laughs> I don't know, because there, like, are, there are a finite amount of Bitcoins as well, right? Like, you can portion them uh, yes. pretty much infinitely, yes. but, but you can't mine them forever. And I don't. And that's the thing that I don't understand because I know that each Bitcoin is computationally harder to get than the next one. Yeah. And maybe that was the design. Like Satoshi's original intent was: yes, there'll be a boom or bust, but eventually it'll be so prohibitively expensive to mine. But then, like, doesn't the system, if it ever becomes uneconomical to mine a Bitcoin, the system collapses because that mining activity is what drives the blockchain. So like right <laughs> to, to verify like all the transactions. You're going to get to yeah. a point where the it's not going to be worth the money to mine a Bitcoin. But then I guess that's that's where it, like as. But then what happened is like a lot of people stop doing it because it's not profitable. So then it snaps back into being profitable. Like I, I feel like that's how Bitcoin's supposed to work. But right now it's just uh, like this weird speculative currency. Um, but it is. I, 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 I don't know. I think it's almost necessary for us to get to that kind of level of currency um, where Mm -hmm. it's detached from even a physical bill that you carry around in your pocket i think that's probably the way of the future however i don't think bitcoin is it like everybody unless here's the thing if you want bitcoin to be it you got to start you got to start using it you got to start spending it you got to make that your default currency because when we say you we don't mean uh uh, dude in a, a white button-down chino slacks at a Silicon Valley office. We, we mean yeah. ma- your mom and dad, right? And yeah. your sister and your uncle that lives in Montana. Like it's not we. You need like an appreciable section of the society doing it. Uh, you need so much of the society doing it that it's pretty much not feasible for a bank to come in by fiat. And tell you yes. that you're using their digital currency now, because I guarantee behind the scenes right now, mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Goldman Sachs, like all of these banks and investment companies have cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. that they are currently working on, and or or they have mining of mining ones. the fuck out of, or yeah, yeah, they have a portfolio of their preferred cryptocurrencies. It's not going to be the one that is democratically chosen by the people because it's best for them and right. it cuts the fucking middleman out. It's going to well, be plus, the one they can control. So plus, there's there's no way that in Czechoslovakia there aren't fucking gangsters with warehouses of these things making bitcoins of the, right? the mining machines. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like it's a legal it's a legal way to make fat stacks of money. If I wanted to launder money, I'd buy a Bitcoin farm. It seems like it's like, <laughs> yeah, sex on wheels for that kind of stuff, and it's untraceable. Like, I, oh yeah, I felt like this was almost a little bit too. I'm pro. I think feel like I'm broadly pro cryptocurrency. I mean, uh, but like I felt like this episode is almost a little too Pollyanna and leaned on to, huh? It's just too hard to understand how it works. Which I felt like was a cop out, because like, yeah, maybe you can't do a sixty-second millennial wedding explanation of it, but I bet if I gave 
John and Hank Green, for example, five minutes and some Thought Bubble animators, they could make everyone be able to understand it. And then you could move on with the conversation. But, like, making it seem sexy and cool, although I I guess they didn't do a very good job with that with the the fucking uh, Crypto Castle people. Can I ask you something? (laughs) Yeah. Weren't those Crypto Castle people involved in a giant, like, cryptocurrency collapse, like, five years ago? That would not surprise me. Didn't I thought this this was like some kind of Magic the Gathering thing that got into like an online Magic the Gathering exchange that got into cryptocurrency and I, I weren't these the same dudes? Maybe they're too. These guys look maybe too young for that, but I couldn't ho- tell you. Holy shit! Are these are the people, and oh my god, these guys that bought twenty five thousand dollars of Bitcoin seven years ago and now are hundred millionaires are the worst fucking people in the world <laughs> because they think they've conquered the world and they won a lot they won a lottery ticket, man. Yeah. So Yeah, it's true. I don't know. What do you think is gonna happen if this guy that's got a that's got that's got like uh sixty four million dollars in that landfill? I like, think he's shit out of luck. But once that once that hard drive gets to be a billion dollars yeah, I mean, the, he's going to have the, to find investors who will give him the money he needs to go digging for that thing. He's going to have to grease some palms in the government to actually get this right to dig up the thing. It's going to take a lot of damn red tape cutting and straight up just palm greasing and effort to get this thing done. I I don't know if I he's going to be able to do it. it. It seems like it's the literal needle in a haystack. And even yeah. if you could, I if even if you could get this narrowed down to like a five hundred square foot cube of trash how the hell you'd go through that and find the hard drive and number two, have it be, still be working. That's the other thing. Like, is it, why, why do you think that just cause you can dig this up, it'll work. Wasn't it compacted? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have gone through some kind of heat? <laughs> wouldn't it have been like, like water and pressure? And like, I just, I don't know. I don't know, dude. Yeah. Um, all right. Finally, uh, corruption. This is kind of the thing that tried to bring everything together. And, I really liked it. Uh, what you? Th- what? What? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think mostly it succeeded. Uh, I was, I was into what they were putting down in this episode. Hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting how they say that, like, in like a feudalist society, the idea that there's corruption is like a complete non sequitur. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like the king owns everything, even the people, and like how what corruption like that's already such a fundamentally morally bankrupt system that there's not there's you know i guess you can have a sheriff in nottingham but it's like putting a hat on a hat you know yeah um whereas it's kind i guess you can take solace the fact that because there's endemic corruption in society it shows that we have a healthy uh fundamentally sound economy because otherwise corruption couldn't occur um i thought that was kind of an interesting (laughs) Uh, line of uh, argument that the episode had mm-hmm. yeah um, and, and then the counterpoint to that being sort of uh where was it singapore where they've cracked down hardcore on their corruption uh yeah, and yet I, yet it still continues to go on even at the highest levels yeah i keep thinking of like conversations i've had with hatorian uh who is an american expat i think i understand the situation right that lives in singapore and so. you know talked about anytime when we start talking about like uh drug legalization or whatever like there's a counterpart to singapore singapore which does seem like um it's a fairly nice place to live but they have these draconian rules on everything and they have this bottom up approach which as soon as i heard them start talking about it and remembering i'm thinking like oh there's just no fucking way this is going to work and there are indeed problems but 
it does seem like they're probably no more worse than the problems we have. So does that mean that a bottom-up approach where you just like really ruthlessly uh, crack down on any small infraction is a valid way to structure a society? That's That really challenged me. Yeah, no, it's an interesting idea um, that I have given no more thought to than the time it took to watch this episode. Because uh, I didn't even know that's how Singapore operated until then. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, it's like, that's the thing is like, sometimes I'm always afraid that like my intellectual leanings will prevent me from seeing a better path because it's happened in my own fucking life. And mm-hmm. so like, what if you proposed that the average person would be happier in a society where you just like you 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 couldn't use drugs you your your individual freedoms were drastically drastically curtailed but everyone kind of got along because everyone's in the same boat and everyone shared shouldered the burdens equally like if i told you that society would be happier and you would do better under it i still feel like i don't want to live in that society yeah why I mean, that, that, that could be the that could be the american way you know, just that's that's a that's a feeling that Americans feel very strongly, I think. Yeah. But what if we're worse off for it? Yeah, <laughs> we, we might be. I don't know. I mean, like I, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. That's my sometimes I have that suspicion. Yeah. And it's hard to know where a balance in that kind of thing lies. Right. Like, OK, maybe the extreme of Singapore is not the right way to go about it. But is the yeah. extreme of America the right way to go about it? I would say emphatically no. Uh, but but where do you land in the middle and how much you almost need like a similar to how they do the value of the human life, the mm-hmm. v, VLI or whatever it is. Uh, you almost need an index of corruption that tells you how much corruption are we willing to tolerate in the society versus how much regulation and restrictions are we willing to tolerate and Mm -hmm. i think the answer is somewhere in the middle i don't think you can eliminate corruption entirely uh simply by you know enforcing draconian laws at the bottom and we've seen that i mean look at singapore right there was the huge uh i forget which industry it was in like the shipping industry or at the ports or something Um, they were doing business outside the country in the typical outside the country business ways with bribes so tons of corruption and bribery and yeah yeah and so they sort of imported that problem from elsewhere but Mm -hmm. i i don't know that i would want them to export their problem to us which is those draconian laws right right yeah where do you draw that line is like we got problems the way we do things. They have problems the way we do things. They do things. The problems are similar in scale, but they're diff- they're similar in scope, but different in like the what arenas of human activity they occur in. But like the wor- the the last thing you want to do is have all of their b- drawbacks and none of their benefits. Like get the worst of both worlds. Yeah, let's let's be and, Russia. Let's be Russia for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I that's the thing I get afraid of is like okay, some of this stuff makes sense. How can we like sanely? Uh, implement these things and try them and be careful and test the guy. I don't really, I don't really feel like a radical, but the problem is, is people just won't let you do those experiments. Mm-hmm. People won't let you like, okay, well this, this people clearly want this thing. And uh, well, you know, we're going to try it and we're going to, we're going to uh, gather a lot of data and we're going to set some metrics and we're going to, you know, like why, why can't we do those types of social experimentation um, I think it's because we approach things emotionally um, yeah. most most of the time. And you get in a situation where that's so extreme, like we currently have in our right. economic systems now uh, in America. And then 
you say, well, the only way to correct that is to completely stamp it out 100%. Fuck this. And you go wildly in the other direction, and then you have the same problem, you know? Yeah, I've noticed that, like, I don't know if that's if we can do anything about that, because in so many social things, I notice that it's very pendulum swing. Yeah. Like, you have a problem, and the pendulum's way too far over towards something, and then society's like, this is fucking bullshit. Push the pendulum in the other direction. And then it's it roars past, like, the optimal solution and, and overcorrects way, and, like, it takes generations of time for that pendulum to get anywhere in, like, like it didn't. And in the middle is not balance. Balance is where the most people are satisfied and invested in a society that they feel is fair and just, right? Yeah. And I've thought about, like, I, I almost feel like, because I, I feel like that's, um, that's something that a lot of people that are experiencing the course correction are bitching and moaning about. Like, okay, sure, like for example, men. Men have been real shits to women over years, but hey, we've given you equal treatment now, so like, it's totally unacceptable for any sexism towards men, and everyone should be one hundred. Now that we got everything good, no one transgressed and other, and that feels like Pollyanna to think that there's not going to be any kind of blowback or repercussions for that, like. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the ideal. Like what what should happen in society is people like, oh yeah, this is right, this is unfair. Let's fix it. Let's make sure that the other person was harmed in this way is made whole as whole as we can. And now everyone agreeing that this is fair. Let's step forward to to get to, together. But yeah, I I feel like the course corrections are ways that society like punishes and 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 bullies and and forces an issue to the forefront. Um, and maybe there's no other way to do it because it doesn't seem like there's an appetite towards people just dispassionately uh, <laughs> arguing for their validity of existence and on the other side hearing those arguments for validity and accepting them. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a consequence you know, of this being on such a scale that we have to think outside human terms in a weird way. Like, yeah. They, they 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 did a good job of naming this series the giant beast that is the global economy because yeah it's it's a huge hairy beast like i think the last line of this series says uh however it is just one small part of a much larger thing that is our mm-hmm. society our government uh right. everything about what it means to live together on this planet mm-hmm. you want to talk about a hairy fucking beast Let's mm-hmm. get our let's get our arms around all of this at the same time. It's not going to happen, yeah. uh, or, or it's not going to happen on on human time scales, right? Like society right. is larger than a human being, and therefore it operates in the the almost almost like an eon level sort of universal time scale here. Now it's smaller than that, but but I think like we have to step outside humans and and look at this and say the change isn't going to happen in my lifetime. Right. Uh, the, the, the equilibrium isn't going to be established. I'm never going to be as happy as I, as someone a thousand years from now is going to be, but hopefully I can put the little pieces in place that will eventually get those people to where they want to be. That would be, that would be so nice. But I think we're confounded by the fact that our political cycles work in two, four, six, and eight-year cycles. <laughs> yeah, that's not like exactly you could great. Get, you could be halfway towards paradise, and some other completely non-related crisis causes a government to be unpopular, a new party changes, and they reverse the road to paradise. Yeah, um, or you could be halfway along the road to hell, and 
and sure. the same thing happens, right? Like, yeah, you, you grab the wheel. Like, I don't, um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there, there's there. I, I keep on getting taught. It's like I'm not sure if we need more democracy. Like, like some sort of really secure cell phone based like micro voting thing where the American people can like weigh in on issues instantly and it's like trusted and verified. I don't know whether we need less democracy and we need to like have these representatives actually be shielded somewhat from uh, direct democracy so that they, they can make like really wide like like the, the fact that the, the, the Indian guy, uh, Indian prime minister just decided to demonetize that's oh. I, I like that. Like uh-huh. that is a big that is that is a big bold stroke. Um, but I feel like that's the kind of stuff that you have to do. But then you, 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 when, when those things don't work, you got to like document it and be like, aha, this is the thing. What we do is we do all these half measures mm-hmm. and then we half implement it and we stop doing it when we're halfway through. And then everyone argues about what actually happened. Yeah. And, and, and they, they point to it and say, Hey, it didn't work. And so we're not going right. to try it again or right. Those yeah. Kinds of things. And, and we keep trying these like, you know, various types of things like every 30 years like oh well we tried trickle it's time to try to trickle down again uh it's time to try to uh do some very unpopular social program again it's time to do it's like we are i don't know it's it's there's this quote about i think it's noam chomsky that said the smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to limit the spectrum of what's acceptable discuss in in society but allow a very lively debate within that spectrum and i think about hmm. when like the free speech warriors on reddit and they're everywhere nowadays they're on like a a, a popular subreddit and we're we're arguing about whether it's okay to say the n-word and whether it's fascist that that society looks down on people to say the n-word and i'm thinking that this is the epitome of this quote because this person thinks they're being edgy and and uh being standing up for free speech by by debating about whether they can say this hateful word Mm -hmm. and there's like how much time is that person spending thinking about systemic corruption that is making one individual able to steal 400 billion dollars out of an economy (laughs) probably not much this to me sometimes feels like a a like a like a true like the matrix within a matrix level of control where Mm -hmm. there's always going to be this new like it's still very important to the people that it affects like i'm on the side of black people that i don't think people should be able to go out there and throw the n-word at willy-nilly and i'm fully angry that we cannot even get past that level of debate but i'm even more upset that as a society we allow ourselves to get distracted by that but that's easy to say for me as a 42 year old white man so (laughs) i i more and more i feel like that we as a society are going to have to just fight these fucking battles and somehow weld from all these disparate opinions some some consensus opinion and once we do that we'll be unstoppable but holy shit it's it's going to be a rough ride until we get some of these very basic things about how to treat each other with dis- dignity and respect and and whatnot one thing i took away from this last episode was the fact that this this Indian um, l- uh, legal professor suggested that the way to rein in the the pandemic bribery culture in India is to unilaterally legalize the giving of bribes. Yeah, that interesting. seems like a very smart solution to the problem. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm. I, I don't. I, <laughs> I haven't thought about it for more than thirty seconds while he was saying it. But uh-huh. yes, I think I agree with that. 
that like the way it's set up now is you the the it's perverse like, incentive is for the citizen and the official to collude because they're equally guilty and one there's you know so why would the citizen do more than be annoyed at the fact that this injustice is happening if they go to report it they're incriminating themselves no it's like our whistleblower laws right mm-hmm. um yeah, we, yeah. we have a provision for that within you know our our structures to to mm-hmm. sort of say like look if you can bring something to light that is happening and even if you were complicit in it th- then you you get a, either a lesson lesser sentence than the person who you know hasn't brought this forth or mm-hmm. in some cases you get no sentence at all so yeah, you're shielded right yeah and, and i think that is a huge protection for the people who would under those circumstances come out and show shed some light on some bad shit that's happening so I, I kind of agree that maybe that is a partial solution. Yeah, it's but it's it's like I started thinking about that, like what I was thinking like what could you would that how else would this it seems like it's something that you it's something uh, a a law a type of law you'd pass to you just want to destroy a particular thing because I'm like, could you put this on prostitution? Like you make selling sex legal but buying sex illegal if you wanted but I'm but I'm like I know because the fundamental problem with that is you're trying to curb something that is not inherently wrong or doesn't have a inherently deleterious effect. Maybe it, shit, I don't know. But it's like if if this is such a great idea, why can't you apply it to all crime? Um, which <laughs> make, is that's a make, shitty that's a that's a shitty argument. I I, I freely yeah. admit, but it's one of those things where it's like if it were where why does it work? Why does it seem like it works so well for this one area but not not this other area? I, I haven't quite figured it out, but. Is a good it was a is a is a new way to think about a problem that I'd never really thought about before. I mean it might um, help some of the current problems we have with like drugs in the country. Um if you yeah. made it not illegal to buy drugs, but mm-hmm. illegal to sell drugs. I think you have a lot less of the petty yeah, you have a lot less of these frankly, people who aren't criminals in my mind. Mm-hmm. People who mm-hmm. just want to score because they're fucking depressed or because they want to have a good time. Like, right. so many reasons to use drugs. Those people aren't criminals to my mind, but we put them in prison anyway for buying an ounce of weed, for buying, mm-hmm. you know, an eight of cocaine, an eight ball of cocaine. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are we doing? Uh, it's They're not the problem, you know? The only problem I have with that is, like, I want to be able to buy drugs. So, like, if it's still uh-huh. illegal for my deal, like, I, it's like... I mean, that's a shitty attitude to be like, "Hey, I want to buy." Thanks, thanks, man, for selling this weed. Oh, you got busted because you had two pounds in your trunk. Ah, sucks to be you. But do, do um, you want to go out and buy like prescription pills and heroin and 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 crack, or do you want to buy like shit that's gonna, you know, be a little lighter? No, but I'm saying like, uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's still the fundamental problem is we're attacking yeah. something that. You know, I guess like that's like decriminalization, right? Like decriminalization basically does that. Like in like for most of Ohio, I think uh, less than two ounces of weed possession is a misdemeanor. But so that yeah. effectively criminalizes dealers because if you're an individual, there's I can't imagine having more than two ounces on me on 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 any kind of regular basis. But if you're like that's just starting out if you're a dealer, right? So like, sure, I don't yeah. know. It's it's better than what we're doing now, but I also don't think that's that's what I worried about. Like, it seems like it's a way to just club all vice, yeah, um, and a way to like once you catch someone that's got something, like you can compel them to turn their dealer because they face no consequences at all to admitting to criminal activity, and that seems like another type of corruption that could 
that could uh, um, uh, appear. Um, oh, one other sure. thing I thought was, uh, I guess, a little glimmer of light um, is that the the what what they did the Malaysian kind of resistance and how um, like all the polls showed that this extremely corrupt family that had started this kleptocracy in, in Malaysia was going to be able to win the election. But what happened was the tables completely flipped and a vast majority, much more of the people showed up to elect than they were expecting. And they were able to boot this guy out. And I was thinking like, you know, even in a hot contested election, America, barely 50% of the people participate. There is a va- there is almost as many people that don't vote and are not engaged in the system. And man, if you could get like 10% of those people engaged on one side or the other, you could swing a permanent majority for like a generation. And mm-hmm. I guess, boy, I wish we could, I, I, I hope, I, I hope people are thinking about how to get those people off the bench. And I know I, one of the common things is like, well, if people aren't on the bench with insert uh, crisis of the jour, uh, then you're never going to get them on. But I don't know, man. I think, I think you're you're right about the idea that people are fed and comfortable, and it takes a personal tragedy for them uh, to like, you know, ch- change, 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 change to, to, to try to change, to try to do something that's going to upheave society. Because, you know, of course they are, right? So. Sure. I mean, I, I honestly haven't voted in that many elections, even though I've been eligible for, I don't know, a hundred of them. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a thousand years old. I, I'm the, the king what are you, of war. What's your batting hammer. average? Uh, 50? Maybe fi- 50, yeah. 50? Yeah. yeah. Batting bat 500. But yeah, I, I think making it easier is one big mm-hmm. step toward that. Like, like you were talking about, you know, maybe can we get the blockchain involved in this? Can we do crypto voting? Yeah. Is there some like technological solution to make it more secure for us to do to to vote like from our phones or a computer or the library or wherever the fuck we can easily get to that makes it convenient for us to vote? Because honestly, I think from a personal perspective, all the times that I haven't voted in an election are because mm-hmm. it was a big fucking hassle. I was working. Right. I didn't have the day off. Like I would have had to take my lunch break and then be disappointed when the line is four hours long. Uh, I, I, it was just not within my, my comfort zone to actually vote. Uh, in recent years, that has been no concern. (laughs) I've gotten out Mm -hmm. and I've done it regardless of those factors. But yeah, I think we need to make it easy. I've, I've, I've lifted enough different places to know that there are right ways to do that and wrong ways to do that. There are ways to do it where you lead the four hour lines and people giving up in disgust. And there's ways to do it where you just walk right in and you have a nice friendly experience. And um, it's instructive to see the types of regimes that put up the former versus the latter. And yeah, um, but yeah, and it's, it's like, you know, I, I understand that like you can't, leave it up to popular vote for everything because i imagine like you know five minutes after 9-11 happened if you had a cell phone app that says hey who do you want to go to war with americans right. would have been like everyone uh-huh. and you don't want that you know our founders were rightly concerned with the tyranny of the majority so you have to figure out what aspects of society you can and cannot open up and how do you make it secure but like we're not even again this is the first thing we're not even trying like yeah i've i've been trying to think of like what is one thing i can beat home to like our audience and i think i've arriving at like we have to kill first past the post voting Mm -hmm. like this is a toxic cancerous way to select 
leaders in a democracy. A representative democracy thrives on excellent leadership. And we've got a system that's scientifically proven to always give you the lesser of two evils. And there are better systems that we could adopt right now. There are states like Maine that are adopting like um, di- different ways, like uh, ranked choice voting. And instead of like uh, you know these these winner take all proportionate representatives, there's so many ways we can improve. And it seems like most people just aren't trying. So if you're disenchanted with democracy and feel like it's you're not having as as much of an effect as you should, it's because we are doing a lot of these things wrong. And we know we're doing it wrong. And why aren't people talking about it? Uh, I'm going to start talking about it. Uh, I'm going to make uh, right. now that I feel like the drug thing is going my way in society. I am no longer getting worked up about drug policy. I am all in on getting worked up about first pass to fo- post voting. Every election cycle we go and like uh, if like I'm actually pissed at this cycle of primaries. Like if the Democrats really believed in democracy, they would they the, the states that want to get on that board would 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 implement ranked choice voting in their primaries, and they can do that this presidential cycle. And every cycle that they don't do that, I'm gonna be calling some bullshit. So uh, we gotta I, we we want a better government. We have to be able to select better leaders, and we can select better leaders if we go to ranked choice voting. That's my choice. There's a bunch of others out there, but the way we do it right now is literally the worst way you can run elections. So that's my new hobby horse. Are you excited, Jim? Uh, well, I'm just scrolling through the New York Times feed right here, and it says Colorado <laughs> has recriminalized weed thanks to Aaron backing off on God the subject. Damn it! Yeah, it's unfortunate. Too much democracy. Uh, you kind of got to put. You got to push in all directions, man, all, at all times. <laughs> um. All right. Do you got anything else you want to talk about this giant fucking beast? No. No, I'm good. I wish I wish everybody I, I tell you what, I might troll through uh if you leave feedback at TV at baldmove.com, I might troll through for some takes because I gotta say, I am not classically educated about the ec- economics and politics. I'm very interested in it and I try to read as much and I try to keep it as broad of mind and I try to be very evidence based, but I don't know everything and I know there's a lot of smart people that might be able to, you know, have some more nuanced views of this, can say exactly what's wrong. Like I would entertain those takes if you guys got them. Uh, and we might at a future show have uh, like a giant beast mailbag because I, I really wish a lot more of the audience of our audience would watch this thing that are probably going to end up. Um, so it's, 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 I actually feel like it's a damn shame this is on Amazon. <laughs> if it was on Netflix, people would watch it. Ten, I guarantee five times more people would watch it. For sure. Just, yeah. just based on the audience and the way that they can promote it and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, before we go, one other thing I want to get your view on. I noticed on at least the PlayStation 4 interface that YouTube has adopted the Netflix model where if you hover over a video selection for longer than three seconds, it starts auto-playing. Is this the apocalypse, Jim? Auto, like, opens the video and starts playing it? Just starts playing it in the little preview icon, but it's full volume and motion, and it just starts the video playing. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, it is the apocalypse. Because if that counts as a recently played and that starts polluting my because it's like it's youtube's already recommended video <laughs> list as a goddamn can intellectual cancer but uh-huh. if i like accidentally fucking hover over some info wars bullshit and it starts shaping like i i uh i i just cannot believe that i guess they must have some kind of statistic that that's like a better way to engage people because that feature is universally loathed among Netflix and now YouTube's doing it. Yeah. No, they, they, they look at what works, not what pleases people. Uh, and those things work. 
why that there's got to be something that explains a contradiction between what pleases people and what works and why those aren't aligned yeah you know I, I, i'm sure some psychologist could probably look at that and tell you that that's some some kind of game neuroscientist theory. yeah i need nash i need a nash equilibrium expert to come and explain yeah. what is the why why we act in our against our self-interest so much um but yeah uh Thanks for letting us, let, listening to his rant and rave for like an hour and a half, or I guess a t- combined two and a half hours if we talk about the last week's conversation too. But I think it's worth having, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, looks at hopefully Cosmos because I guess that thing has been delayed because of some personal problems um, and allegations against uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm not sure if that's like is it go this weekend or not. We're gonna have to find out. But we're definitely going to come back with a look next week on uh, Netflix's new original movie, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, and also the Hulu uh, horror original Into the Dark uh, Treehouse episode next week. So stick with us there. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.